Well, are you as surprised as I am? We started a series on the Lord's Prayer on January 6th. And when I said then that we would be doing five messages on the Lord's Prayer, I'm sure some of you were like, really? Do we have to go that slow? And, uh, and yet, the time has gone by very quickly. And so we have been learning, as the disciples did, when one of the disciples asked Jesus, Lord, teach us how to pray. And Jesus responded quite simply, when you pray, say, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And so this morning, we're going to look at just this last phrase, this last verse in Matthew chapter 6, verse 13, about what does it mean when we pray, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And some manuscripts have from the evil one. When we pray, give us this day our daily bread, we learned that that was really an all-encompassing prayer, to pray for our needs. And I like how in the video he prayed, uh, Lord, I have a lot of wants, and I have some needs, but help me to know the difference. And that's an important place for us to start as well. But we said there, it meets physical needs we pray for. We can pray for emotional needs in that context. We can pray for, for financial needs and relational needs and whatever it might be. Last week, Kyer did a great job at helping us understand what it means to, to let go. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. The debts that we have between us. Really there, Jesus was getting us to pray for our spiritual needs and even our relational needs as we recognize that oftentimes that conflict that we have between one another is because of sin that has been done way one, one way or the other and we have to let that go. This prayer now that we come to, this final phrase that really finds, uh, the, this sort of summarizes it up or finishes it up for us, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us for the evil one, is simply a prayer for protection. It's a prayer that just says, help me, Jesus, to walk without stumbling. Help me to avoid the spiritual potholes in my life. And it's likely that Jesus is using a figure of speech here that expresses something positive by negating its opposite. For example, if I say, you know, this is no small matter... What I really mean is that it's a big matter. It's, it's a big deal. And so when we pray, lead us not into temptation, then we are really crying out to God, keep me away from temptation. We are in essence praying, don't let Satan ambush us. Don't let the enemy of our souls catch us in his trap. And so when we pray... We are recognizing that God has the power to lead us past all of the lures that, uh, that might threaten us. And we're asking, Lord, if the opportunity to sin presents itself, grant that I will not 
have that desire. And if the desire surfaces within me, grant that I will not have the opportunity to act on that desire. The Lord's Prayer, even when we pray that we would be delivered from the evil one, is a reminder for us to fear the strategies of Satan. And Satan has a way of using temptation in our life. And when we speak of temptation, I think it's probably safe to say that we all know what temptation is. We all experience it. If you have a pulse this morning, you know what it is to deal with temptation. Someone once said, lead us not into temptation. Just tell us where it is and we'll find it. It it, it comes almost naturally to us and it's somewhat frightening. I mean, seriously, what is it about us human beings that if, if, if we saw this glistening piano on here and there was a big sign that said, wet paint, we'd come up to it and we'd look and it says, do not touch wet paint. And we're like, really? You know, we have to touch it and find out for ourselves. Is it really true? But what is it within us that causes us to give in to those temptations. There are temptations all around us. You can walk through any mall. You can go to the beach. You might be at work. You can be watching TV. You might be surfing the internet. You might be in the store at a magazine rack. It's almost impossible to avoid. And the reality is, is that we don't even have to go looking for them. Temptations come looking for you. Just about a week and a half ago, I was sitting in my office, which is like almost directly behind this wall, minding my own business. It's the quiet of the day. Nobody's here. It's late in the afternoon. And I get a text. And it chimes, and I just look at it. And it was actually a picture text of a fairly attractive lady. Now, she was fully clothed. wasn't like it was anything obscene, but it was like, oh, I don't recognize that number, and I don't recognize who that is. And it felt really weird. Who is sending me a picture text? And I thought, well, I'm not going to leave this on here. So I delete it, delete it, put it down, keep working. Five minutes later, it chimes again. I'm like, what is this? And then it, and it was, I think it said, because I deleted all this and I couldn't retrieve it, but my memory serves me correctly. It was like, is this her? And I'm like, is this who? Is this Olga from Russia? I mean, I was getting emails from her earlier. Now I'm suddenly getting text messages. I mean, seriously. And, and, and so I'm like, what do I do with this? So I text back, is this who? And comes back and they're like, whoops, wrong number, LOL. <laughs> you know, I'm like, seriously? But it just, it just comes. We don't even have to go looking for it. To help us think about temptation this morning and, and really how to deal with it, it's... This prayer that we pray, but there's more to it. And when we pray, Lord, deliver us from temptation. Deliver us, lead us not into temptation. Deliver us from the evil one. We can learn something from the way Jesus dealt with temptation. And in Luke chapter 14, there's a passage of scripture. Sorry, Luke chapter 4 that deals with the temptation of Jesus. And you can also find this in in, in Matthew's gospel. 
But I want us to think a little bit about Jesus' temptations this morning. We read here in chapter 4 that Jesus is sent into the desert, that Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit, interestingly enough, into the desert, where for 40 days, 40 days, think about this, he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and at the end of them, he was hungry. This word here, tempted, really has two meanings in the Greek. One is an enticement to sin, and and that really becomes the devil's job, as we'll see. Or secondly, to put to the test, where a person can prove himself true, and this comes then from God's perspective. And it really is a great word because of this dual meaning. We read in other places that, that God tests the righteous. God put Abraham to a test when he wanted to, to really understand, look at, are you fully committed to me and to the degree that I'm going to ask you to offer and sacrifice your son Isaac and will you do it? There was a test there. And Israel was led into the desert for 40 years to be tested. But in this case, because of the interaction, as we'll see, between Jesus and the devil... It clearly was Satan who was enticing Jesus to sin. And so the first temptation that Jesus gave, or sorry, the devil gave to Jesus, was the temptation to do it yourself. In verse 3, he says to him, If you are the Son of God, tell this stone to become bread. Now the devil is not casting doubt on on Jesus' divinity, But because he is, or or since he is the Son of God, he should then change this bread, or sorry, this stone to bread. And Satan's basic strategy is to make us believe that God can't be trusted so that we should take care of ourselves. If you think back and what happened in Genesis chapter 3 and the fall of Adam and Eve, it's the same kind of thing that, you know, God can't really be trusted. So you just need to take care of your own business. I mean, really, what's the big deal, Jesus? Just turn these stones into bread. I mean, you are the Son of God, aren't you? Just go ahead and do it. Take matters into your own hands and provide for your own needs. Now, when you think about it, how tempting would this have been? Jesus had been without food for six days. And I I just, I love the humanity of verse 2, that he had ate nothing during those days, so he fasted for 40 days. And then it just sort of casually says, and at the end of it, he was hungry. Of course he was hungry. So this was the situation that he finds himself in, and suddenly he's got this temptation before him. Take this stone and make it bread. And because he was the son of God, he could have used his supernatural powers to meet his own selfish needs. He could have done it. He was hungry. And so Satan was, in in essence, tempting Jesus to disobey the Father's will by using his own divine power for his own purposes, to satisfy his needs. And so Jesus answers verse 4. And you'll note this, too, that each time when Jesus responds to the devil's temptations, he says, it is written, which should be a clue to us that Jesus clearly 
knew the word. He understood and had memorized the, the books of the Old Testament. He understood uh, um, uh, all of these verses were from, from Deuteronomy. And Jesus answered, it is written, man does not live on bread alone. And that was enough for him to, to resist this temptation. See, Jesus did not allow the situation or the circumstance or even the enemy to dictate the truth. Jesus basically said that he would not take matters into his own hands and that he will trust his Father and his word. Obeying God was far more important than satisfying his appetite. And Satan's scheme, really, when he comes to tempt us, is to make us believe that if we want something bad enough, that we just need to go out and get it ourselves and not trust God to provide. And so we're tempted. Are we not tempted then sometimes to go outside of God's will to satisfy our personal needs or desires? It's a temptation that I think exists today, that we will circumvent God's will to get what we want. Secondly, there's the temptation to take shortcuts. The temptation to take shortcuts. You see this in verses 5 to 8. So then the devil laid him up to a high place and showed him in an instant all of the kingdoms of the world. And he said to him, I will give you all their authority and splendor for it has been given to me. And if I give it to anyone, I want to. So if you worship me, it will all be yours. You see, Satan was offering Jesus a kingdom without the cross. A kingdom that would come the easy way. Why, Jesus? Why would you go to all the trouble and pain to win the world through your death and, 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 and sacrifice when you can have it with no suffering and no struggling and no sacrifice? But ultimately, without the cross, there would be no forgiveness. So Jesus says, I'm not in a place to take a shortcut and circumvent my Father's will again. And so he says, it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. See, our world teaches us to avoid pain, to take the easy way, avoid sacrifice, anything for pleasure. Just go ahead because you deserve it. And it leads us to compromise. And at times, we ultimately abandon loyalty to the Father altogether. Thirdly, there was the temptation to draw attention to yourself. Because after Jesus responded then to the second temptation, we read in verse 9 of Luke chapter 4, the devil led him to Jerusalem and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the Son of God, he said, Throw yourself down from here. For it is written, He will command His angels concerning you to guard you carefully. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. And an interesting thing just happened. Once Jesus tempted and... Sorry, Satan tempted Jesus and Jesus responded with Scripture and Satan tempted again and Jesus responded with Scripture again. Then Satan goes, Well, I can play that game too. And so he quotes Scripture. And then Jesus answers here this very clever temptation, this tempting offer. Verse 12, he says, Jesus answers, says, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. 
Do not put the Lord your God to the test. You see, Jesus understood that to follow through with how Satan was tempting him, to draw attention to himself in this way, would be totally out of step and out of line with the will of God. To do it would in fact be to test God, to put his lover and love and power to a test, to prove him. And it was all about sensationalism. And the one thing that all three of these temptations have in common is that they attempt to distract Jesus from his mission or destroy the relationship with his heavenly father. You can just get out of line and be out of step with his will. It's interesting to me that when you think of this prayer and think of how Jesus taught us to prayer, that there was this whole part, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And when Sid taught us about that passage, it was a reminder that it's very important for us to submit to and to align ourselves with God's will. And so is it any surprise that the enemy of our souls would come and attack and try to distract us from being in line and in step with the Father. Don't miss this last verse, 13. When the devil had finished all this tempting, he left him until an opportune time. See, he he was done with them for the moment, but he would find other opportunities. And the same is true for you and me. You think there's a temptation and we resist that. And we'll talk a little bit about how we do that. But we resist that and then all of a sudden it comes back and we're surprised. We're like, well, we thought we already dealt with it. Well, no, it's back again. Because the enemy that is very real, whether we acknowledge that or not, we'd be better off to acknowledge it. But he's very real and he will seek every opportunity And that opportune time, when is that opportune time? We'll talk about that in a moment as well. You see, it just goes to show that the devil will always be lurking, always be hiding in the shadows, watching, waiting for the next time that we are vulnerable. Maybe when we're weak, exhausted, we might expect a a major assault. Or maybe even when we resist one tactic, be ready for a different approach from him. And when he leaves us, we can't just kind of say, whew, good, that's over with. But we need to be expecting a counterattack. You see, Satan has a tried and true strategy. And I think when it comes to temptation, it sort of always follows this course. He first sets the bait. Sets the bait. He knows you and me. He knows our habits. He knows the places that we hang out. He makes a tailor-made lure and drops it right in front of you. And then he... So he's dropping this lure as the second thing. But you see, he, like any good fisherman knows, he can't make the fish bite. He can't make you or me bite. But he knows that because this is a lure that's specific for us and he drops it in front of us, he knows that we're going to be drawn to it. That we might linger over it a little bit. We might toy with it. We, we might even roll it around in our minds until it consumes our imagination. 
And so the lure is there. It's right in front of us. And now the battle begins. And the battle rages. And all of a sudden, you know, the alarm bells are going off. They're warning us of the danger. We know it's wrong. We may even see all of the consequences. I'm not much of a fisherman. I don't know if some of you are really into fishing. But I've always wondered when I look at like this lure, I go, really? Fish are dumb enough to bite that thing? But that's what it is. That's like us. Can't they see the barbs? Don't they know what the consequences of that are? Like I sort of imagine, you know, mommy and daddy fish taking the little fish around. And when they, you know, they see somebody out fishing, they see the string and they see the lure and they said, okay, kids, that right there, do not go for it. No matter how appealing it looks, no matter how tempting it looks, no matter how hungry you are, do not go for that. But they still do. And even when we think of the consequences, sometimes we ignore those and we still do. And so then one of two things happens. Either the enemy quickly sets the hook or you've already known that it's time to get away. And either we swim away or we swallow it whole. Those are the two choices. And when we resist, we leave, we feel the freedom, we experience victory. But then when we bite, you experience defeat and the pain of it. And that's what temptation does. It sets the bait, drops the lure right in front of us. Then the battle begins And it may rage for a while until we either resist or we fall for it. There's something else that I think we can pick up from Jesus' temptation. It's what I'll call the environment for temptation because I think it's important to know this. Oftentimes, temptation comes, what I would say, after a mountaintop experience. Right? We've either got the mountaintop experience or we got the valley of the shadow of death. And in Jesus' case, his temptation immediately followed his baptism. It was this spiritual high. It was the affirmation that he'd received from the Father. You are my son whom I love. With you I am well pleased. There's this spiritual high. And I can't tell you how many times I've had conversations with people who've gone through their own baptism thinking that this was going to be the highlight kind of of their, of their spiritual journeys and, and, and immediately in the days and the weeks following that they just come under such intense spiritual attack because they've had this mountaintop experience. Or teenagers that go off to camp and they're removed from all the distractions and they have this mountaintop spiritual experience and God is speaking to them and they're around the fire and they're singing Kumbaya and it's just awesome. And then all of a sudden they get home and reality hits. So beware of the mountaintop experience and about what might happen after. There's another environment, another thing that we need to be aware of is during times of physical exhaustion. Jesus had nothing to eat for 40 days, right? He was hungry. And Satan will often drop the lure when we are physically, spiritually, and emotionally tired. When maybe our spiritual reserves are depleted and we're just, I just, I just can't take this battle anymore. It's just too hard. Beware 
because that is a likely opportunity for the evil one to attack with temptation. And thirdly, when you are alone. This is probably the most dangerous one. You see, Jesus was alone here when he was led out into the desert. He was out there for 40 days dealing with the temptation. And we have these three that were recorded for us that we looked at. And I think simply put that we are most vulnerable when we are alone. When we are alone with the temptations and the things that we struggle with. And maybe, you know, you travel for business or for work. And you know exactly what I'm talking about and the challenges that you face when you're alone day after day and evening after evening. You need to be aware of that. We'll give you some strategies in a minute for that, but think about that environment, those mountaintop spiritual highs during times of physical and emotional exhaustion and when you're alone. So how do we deal with temptation? And this all falls under when we pray... Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. What can we do sort of in and around that? Well, the first thing I think that's really important for us to catch is that we would know the word and we would stand our ground. And we don't have to go any further than to look at Jesus' example. Whenever he was tempted, he knew the word well enough that he could respond. And so is it any wonder why the psalmist says in 119 verse 11, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. It's a great place to start. I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Because when we study God's word and we know his word and we know what it is that we should do and what we shouldn't do, then it's very easy for us. It's clearly defined for us. And because we've hidden that in our hearts, we know how we can then respond. Ephesians 6, 17 reminds us that the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, it is a, it's an offensive weapon. And, and really, this prayer is an off, it's a proactive prayer. When we get up in the morning, that we would pray like, like we, we saw in the video, that we would pray, God, help me and help me to avoid those spiritual potholes this day. We take the, the initiative knowing that it could come to us. And so we take this offensive action by knowing God's word. Why? Because Hebrews 4.12 says, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. And when we kind of tuck God's word into our hearts and our minds, you will be amazed at those times when temptation comes... And all of a sudden, a verse that maybe you haven't even read or remembered for three years suddenly comes to mind. It's just like, yes, this, that's what I needed right at this moment to help me deal with this temptation right now. Secondly, I would say to watch and pray. Watch and pray. 1 Peter 5.8 says, Be self-controlled and alert. Catch this. Your enemy, my enemy, the devil prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. You know, lions are these majestic, you know, sort of quasi-peaceful kind of looking animals, aren't they? Have Have you noticed that? They just kind of walk around and you look at them at the zoo or whatever. And when we were living in Ottawa, there was a sort of a private zoo. It was very small and it was 
Um, I, I can't even describe what it was, but it was, it was, let's just say there was not a lot of like high tech ways of keeping the animals out. I mean, literally it was like two by four fences with chain link attached to it. And you kind of wondered, and they loved to feed the animals and, and they would bring out five gallon buckets of raw meat and they would stand there and they would just like huck it over this thing and just let them go for it. And you know what? Those lions, they're just kind of sitting there just looking. But when they know it's feeding time and that meat launches over the fence, they pounce and they attack and it does not take them very long to swallow whole a 16-ounce steak or more. That is the analogy that Paul was, or Peter was using here. The enemy is like a roaring lion who just kind of prowls around, saunters. But don't be fooled. He's looking for someone to devour. And so when I say we've got to watch ourselves, I, I think we have to do an honest, humble self-examination to learn what particular evil desires might hide in our hearts and when and how we are most vulnerable to them. Maybe you saw that, that list when I was saying about the environment. You go, yeah, you're absolutely right when I'm exhausted. Well, then what do I do? I've got to get more sleep. I, I need to be careful that I don't wear myself down because that's when I become most susceptible to attack. And know these things about ourselves because I can guarantee you this that the enemy knows this about you and me, and he'll have a field day. He'll expose all of those weaknesses. And so we pray as the psalmist prayed, Psalm 50, verse 15, Call upon me in the day of trouble, and I will deliver you, and you will honor me. What a great promise. That when we're facing temptation, it is a day of trouble, and we have this promise that when we pray to God that he will deliver us, and that we then in turn will honor him with our obedience. Don't ever rely on willpower or courage because the temptations are stronger than we are. So we have to look to God and stay dependent on him. Thirdly, in dealing with temptation, I would encourage you to share with a friend. If there is a particular temptation that you're dealing with, whenever it is, and, and up until this point, it's kind of been nice to sort of keep it to yourself. And maybe it's been out of embarrassment. Maybe it's been out of fear of rejection. But maybe if we're honest with ourselves, it's just been like, I'm just going to kind of keep this to myself. This is my little thing. Nobody needs to know about this. But you know how you feel when you give in to that temptation. And in order to break that, one of the things that you can do is to share it with a friend. Ecclesiastes 4.9, we usually sort of use this in a, in a marriage setting, but I think it's perfect when it talks about relationships. Two are better than one, because if one falls down, his friend can help him up. But pity the man who falls and has no one to help him up. So when you reveal your struggle to a godly friend or maybe a group, one of the things we encourage at TCC is a triad. Three men or three women meeting together. That is the perfect environment to say, guys, here's the thing that I struggle with, and I want you to ask me about this next week when we meet, if I have given in to this temptation. Because it's not the sin of the temptation, it is the sin of giving in to the temptation. Every one of us is sinned, or sorry, every one of us is tempted, and Jesus was tempted, and yet did not sin. But we share it with a friend. 
And this is probably the simplest, but maybe the most difficult thing to do. But I would suggest to you that it'll immediately break the power of that particular temptation. Fourthly, we've already read, resist the devil. James 4, 7 says, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Just stand up to the jerk. You know, really. Just say, you know what? No, no, no. We've gone here before, but I'm not going here today. No, I'm resisting you. And it might be really intense for a while, but you know what? If the lion himself knows that he's not going to get any meat to eat, he'll leave you. But like Jesus, he'll look for another opportune time. So beware of that. Fifthly, and again, we've kind of touched on this, and this is similar to watch and pray, but just know when you are most vulnerable. Know when you're most vulnerable. Matthew 26, 14 says, Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the body is weak. Isn't that true? And so when we know what our weaknesses are, we can be prepared. We can study the patterns and times when we're most tempted and brace ourselves. Take steps to avoid the situations. What are the particular situations and environments that tempt you? And if you know those, then just stay away from them. Sixth, I think this is very helpful. Consider the consequences. It's maybe something that we don't do enough when we, when we think about temptation and when we think about sin, but we just have to think sometimes about the consequences of following through on this. You see, the evil one has a way of disguising what is evil and making it look really good and appealing. It's the whole idea of allure and baiting it. The devil would rather have you not think about those consequences. He would rather have you dive in and be forced to face those consequences later on. But if we would just take the time to stop and think about those consequences, about what we're going to be doing, we unmask the lie that Satan is telling us. To listen to that still, small voice that is telling us why this will be the wrong decision and to really and truly think about where this action will lead us. And we may decide to turn around and go another direction. We just have to stop and consider the consequences. And lastly, if all of these other things fail, just remember this. Run like the wind. Just run like the wind. Do you remember the stories of David and Joseph? Think of these two biblical characters. We hold them in relatively high esteem. We probably know their stories well from Sunday school. But did you know that both were faced with the exact same temptation, but one succumbed and the other did not? Joseph was a servant of Potiphar, a chief official of Egypt, and Potiphar's wife took a liking to Joseph. The Bible tells us that Joseph was handsome and good-looking, and so she had her eye on him. And one day, she had him alone and asked him to go to bed with her. And so here's Joseph in the heat of the moment, He's got this tempting offer before him. But you know what Joseph did? I think he stopped. I think he thought about the consequences. And he refused her proposal. And the Bible says that this kind of went on for many days. And she kept pushing this. Until one day she actually grabbed a hold of him by his garment, it says. And she said, sleep with me. But he pulled away from her, leaving his garment in her hand. And he ran like the wind from her house. And then there's David. David's on his roof one day. 
And he looks down across and he sees a beautiful woman bathing. Doesn't leave much to the imagination there, does it? So he takes a liking to this and he sends someone to find out who she is. And they come back and report to him that she is the wife of another man. But here's the key. Rather than comprehending the consequences and then running from the situation, David actually sends for her and sleeps with her. Well, it's later discovered that she becomes pregnant and David then brings her husband home from a war in an effort to get him to sleep with his wife to cover up that she was pregnant and then they wouldn't be able to tell who the father was. I mean, this is really in the Bible. But that plan backfired because the husband refused to go home with his, while his own fellow countrymen were at war. And so David sent this man to the front line of the battlefield to be killed. Nice guy, wasn't he? And yet, interestingly enough, Jesus refers to him as a man after my own heart. So much there that we don't have time to go into about there's temptation. And the temptation in itself is not sin. But then there's sin. When we cross the line, we know it. But when we cross the line, Jesus also offers forgiveness. 1 Corinthians 10.13 says, No temptation has seized you except what is common to man. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, He will also provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. That is a verse that we should all memorize. The temptation you're facing, it's not unique. It's common to everyone. And it's not if you're tempted, it's when you are tempted. And when you are tempted, there's always an out. There is that opportunity to run like the wind. And God himself will provide a way out so that we can stand up under it. You see, at the first sign of temptation, we just need to get out. We can't flirt with it. We can't just let it get a little bit closer because once we've taken the bite of that fruit, there's no turning back. And so when we pray, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one, we are, yes, recognizing Satan's power, that he is an enemy. And we also affirm our weakness in standing up on our own strength to his power. And we plead for God to help us, that he is able to help us escape this trap. Hebrews 4.15 says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet was without sin. And that is why he was the perfect sacrifice for our sins. He paid the price so that we didn't have to. And this morning as we gather around the Lord's table, we are reminded that while temptation itself is not sin, there are times that we will fail the test and give in to sin. And when we do, we acknowledge it. Father, forgive us our sins. And we repent. We turn from it. And this table 
reminds you and I that he is faithful and just and able to forgive.